You're listening to the Women as in Art podcast, and I am your host, Leah Schrager. Okay, welcome to our second podcast, my second podcast ever as the host. Um, I'm very excited to have Anna Fennell Honigman on. Um, did I say your last name correctly? You said it perfectly, which never oh happens. Wow. Okay, good. <laughs> um, welcome, Anna. Um, let me, I'll start by reading your bio and then we will get into it. Okay, Anna has been writing about art with a focus on sexuality, sex work, mental health, and gender for 20 years. She's been published in Art Forum, Art Review, Freeze, Art in America, The New York Times, The Guardian, and Vogue. She received her doctorate in 2013 from Oxford on a topic that's much discussed now how female celebrities' vulnerabilities were exploited and abused in popular media, but treated with empathy by their contemporaries in the art world. Her recent books have been about cult artist and fashion designer Alexander McQueen. Several years ago, she moved from her home in Berlin to Baltimore to complete a master's in mental health counseling at Johns Hopkins and now works part-time as a therapist in D.C. alongside art reviewing and related work. Awesome. (laughs) Great. Uh, Yeah. um, And when did we meet? I was trying to remember. (laughs) Um, Well, we definitely met pre-pandemic. And what I like a lot is that recently I was recounting to someone how we were essentially set up. Like, I would hear about you endlessly everywhere and it always started or ended with a sentence you two would be best friends (laughs) and there was like the childlike resistance of being like don't tell me what to do and then when we finally did meet I was like oh well that's an interesting case study where everyone's right (laughs) that's awesome I love that I actually didn't know that I don't think (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I mean, I felt like, I guess we were just in circles with a lot of yeses. Yeah. I felt yes. like it was like a constant barrage. You and Molly Crabapple were the I... two people who I would get, are you not friends yet? Oh. <laughs> like, when is this starting? <laughs> and are you friends with Molly now? Absolutely. Oh, that's so funny. <laughs> Everyone was right. Like the popular consensus. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Just outsource my social life. Right, yeah. exactly. The hive mind. To mask makers. Be my best friend now. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Um, okay, well, I guess I'll jump right in with some of these questions I have. Um, I'll start with, what do you see as the biggest challenges and opportunities for women now? Well, I think the biggest challenge is is apathy and exhaustion and like the organic pendulum swing to something more conservative and reactionary and repressive because there has been so much conversation and apparent progress and momentum, so much kind of consciousness raised, but historically it doesn't seem to stick. And so it feels like 
women, um, really like the whole panoply of people who are in position to be spearheading change are very vulnerable to having things snap back to what they were. And that's the greatest danger because it's just maintaining momentum. Yes. Well said. Very well said. But then the opportunity is that there are inroads and so many of these conversations are occurring and forging bonds and connections that can be endurable. Um, Is there any particular examples you're thinking of or circumstances or? Well, I guess a lot of what I'm thinking of is like consumer fatigue, like just the mm-hmm. amount of stories, the um, sort of deconstructing and decoding images from the recent past that had some substantive meaning for people's imagination or forming fantasies, and then finding out sort of the realities are really like terrible and tawdry, and maybe just needing to like return to the illusion, mm-hmm. <laughs> at least, at least. Well, I guess on an on an individual creative level, but also just on a societal level, like having to have a break. But if that break persists, then that leads to the repression where these stories just stop being mm-hmm. told and bad behavior is normalized again. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's a trap, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's tough. It is. Hmm. And I don't think it's just about... Um, like a lack of consensus and active opposition, but also that like progressive movements are put down by mockery and just sort of boredom with hearing narratives. Mm-hmm. So those are the risks. Yeah, yeah. Just keeping interest and empathy up. Yeah, that's very well said. I hadn't thought of that. If that's totally true. Totally makes sense. Um Okay, where and how do women find an agency and empowerment in art? Oh, definitely this way. Conversation and discourse. Mm. I think telling stories. I mean, the way that the feminism of the 70s and 60s was based on real just like sisterhood and female solidarity. Swapping narratives. Mm -hmm. I think this is it. It's just friendship. But like substantive, mm-hmm. like the substantive friendship that comes from, you know, like fellow travelers and support. Do you find, so do you find that that's, it's happening, let's say online or in a city or where is it happening on I think app? I a lot online mm-hmm. because people are like in disparate, diffuse places and lives do morph and change. But the fact that we can maintain contact and communication and continue to just like slot back into relationships without there being this sense of rupture, like that's, that's what creates like this kind of community that um, hopefully can just be a foundation for like further advancement and, and to have, um, I guess, a dispensing of the myth that women are somehow better, that like we don't have to be held to account in quite the same way. Like, I think like the, um, 
the opposition to the girl boss narrative has been so necessary and potent. Like to have, for example, like the um, there is this amazing Netflix documentary on the One Taste Cult. I don't know if you've seen it. It's no. called Orgasm Inc. Have you heard I of that? Seen it? No, no. Tell me about it. So I forget her name, but there was a. Um, self-help guru who is championed by Gwyneth Paltrow and her, like her shtick was essentially edging. Like she had like a whole cult where maybe people did ultimately orgasm, but it was like a largely men manipulating people with clitorises and then everyone ended up giving all of their money and time to her. It was wow. a very nefarious cult. Oh, but my it gosh. It's fascinating because it fits into the template of all other cults that are mostly orchestrated and run by men. And it just demonstrates, like, you know, power corrupts and ultimate power corrupts. Mm-hmm. Ult- like, no, absolute power corrupts. Absolutely. Or multi-level marketing is another mm-hmm. example where women do affinity scams and entrap other women. Yes. Utilizing really shallow slogans of empowerment. So I think, I'll, I think, yeah, definitely yes. um, critically evaluating other women while maintaining a sisterhood sensibility. It's a really difficult balance, <laughs> but that seems to be the secret. Totally. Oh gosh. Yeah. I have a couple, I guess I'll, yeah. Mm-hmm. As you're saying this, it's making me think of a few stories. Like um, the first one is actually, I feel like for me, the only time I've been, um, what's the right phrase, I guess, sexually molested is the right phrase, um, was actually from a woman. And it was, it was a big part. It was a female curator. We were at an art event and then a bar and I like a lot of people from the opening were there. And I just, I did not have my guard up because I was totally in this like, oh, but like with men, I think I'm very good. I, I know where my boundaries are. I know what the lines are. I, I can really understand what's happening and how to read them. But um, with her, I really did not see it coming. Um, and um, and I was, yeah, not not prepared, not ready, not, not uh, yeah, just not ready for it. Um, but yeah, and it was from a woman who was, you know, also, of course, espouses feminism and female empowerment kind of stuff. Um, but then behind the scenes, she has some serious issues. And then it gets very complicated when you get into this. Like, I mean, I'd be happy to share with you later more details. But, you know, it gets very complicated in terms of like, how, can you call someone out? You know, she wrote a very long, afterwards, she wrote a very long sob story to me, um, apologizing and explaining why it had happened due to her own abuse and basically asking me not to share. And um, so it's very confusing. (laughs) It's like, anyways, wild, right? Yeah. Very much so. Yeah. And then the other thing that actually you made me as well is kind of on a different note, but um, the sort of, I can't remember, there's some phrase for like, it's something like a top, top down scheme. Is that what it is? That like, 
Um, and I've seen this within actually the OnlyFans. Sorry, I've seen this within the OnlyFans community in terms of like some people will charge a lot of money for coaching or for supposedly mm -hmm. helping other models, but then not deliver anything or just deliver something that's like, you know, elementary school level reading or something just really bad. And it's been an interesting thing. Also, lots of scams around that in terms of um, uh, a lot of this is on Telegram, lots of scams, people creating scam accounts and like taking money and stuff. It's really wild. And and again, to me, it's like you, it's, it's confusing, I think, until you, you, in a way it's confusing at least for me until I experienced it a few times and was like okay this is what I need to look out for no more like blush colored blinders or lenses or whatever and assuming everybody's great mm -hmm. because just because someone's a woman does not mean that they're not gonna fuck you over I guess or, or yeah. try to mess with you which is like surprising when you think about the sisterhood things I feel like the default is to be like oh everyone's trying to help but that actually is what's so pernicious about it because it uses the vocabulary of empowerment mm. yeah. like that's the catch is especially for like it, the only fan scam that you just described but then in like the more general population you have like LuLaRoe that leggings company mm -hmm. or any endless number of MLM scams mm -hmm. mostly they're targeting um, stay-at-home moms and women who are seeking to enter into some form of kind of independent identity or being a bit of a balance. And they do it through heralding themselves as this source of fulfillment and friendship and meaning and purpose and mm -hmm. sometimes just survival independence but it's pernicious the purpose of it is just to prey on people and so that's definitely a way to dismantle a revolution mm -hmm. that's true <laughs> it's to co-op it for individual gain but yeah no the ethics of what you were describing with that woman is it's so it's so fraud and it's very unclear Yeah, and I think that's also um, like a complicated arena because it can be easy to fall into the trap of thinking that there are um, like templates in place for what is appropriate response, mm -hmm. but we just have to be on a case-by-case -case basis, like, mm -hmm. you know, attentive to what feels the most human. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And sometimes it's forgiveness mm -hmm. oh, and sometimes it's accountability <laughs> yes yes <laughs> it's true it's true um this is a really random thing I mean well, actually I don't know can you tell me real quick about the Lulu row I can't quite remember the details oh, of that yeah um it's actually a bizarre story because I didn't understand what MLM scams were when I came to the States because I'd been living in Berlin um, for, I mean, fundamentally like 12 years, like an amalgamation of Berlin mm. and London because I'm always living between two <laughs> places, usually an hour away. In this instance, I'm now living between like two different cities, but... Wait, how is that to live between two places? 
Um, cozy but chaotic. Yeah. <laughs> and when it was London and Berlin, it was just an easy jet away, which was funny because now they're not even – now England isn't even Europe anymore. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> at the time, it felt like pretty smooth. But now when I'm thinking of it, I'm like, oh, those were glorious days. Right. Just not even thinking as I was like bouncing on and off of airplanes. But because I was living in um, Berlin and I was doing like early, like, I guess it was like early Instagram influencing in a way because I would be wearing brands but getting product and um, feeling like a big winner, although I wasn't really being paid because... <laughs> Just new stuff when you're young. It's so exciting. Yes, absolutely. I'm like, yes, things, more things. Yes. Like soft things, silky things. Mm-hmm. But when I got to the States and I was in school here in Baltimore, I was noticing that like many of my classmates at Hopkins were wearing these multicolored bright leggings and kept trying to like get other people to be distributors of these leggings. And I thought that they were being like brand ambassadors and were getting like just the leggings themselves, which didn't really appeal to me. So I wasn't planning to promote. I didn't understand that actually people were, had fallen prey to like a massive scam and they were like deeply in debt because in order to get to be a distributor of the leggings, you have to invest like, I think it was like many thousands of dollars into stock. So people ended up in this pyramid scheme. They claim it's not a pyramid scheme, but it has no other like shape, but a pyramid (laughs) where they were living with like warehouses filled of product that they couldn't push and it was a very interesting, like, oh, wow, everything in America is kind of a scam <laughs> moment for me. Right. Where I was like, I thought people were just, like, just not, not breaking even. Like, they were just, like, promoting thing, getting thing, but they weren't being paid. And I was thinking, mm-hmm. well, that's a little fucked up. Like, you should be paid for, you know, presenting something on the internet. And I'm not falling for that again. And I definitely don't want those leggings. Mm-hmm. And I didn't realize that, like, no, actually in America, like, it's it's way, way worse. Like, people aren't just, like, on, on flat mm-hmm. ground. Like, they're balancing above, like, this big pit of debt, and I was like, that's, that's dark. <laughs> I had no idea. Wow. So that's the Little Rose story. And um, there's an interesting documentary about it. I think it's like an HBO documentary or Hulu. But yeah, they were subject to a lot of lawsuits. And it was mostly preying on, on mothers, stay-at-home mothers, who wanted to contribute to their families, but ended up instead like 30 grand. In a big hole. <laughs> oh my god! Wow, so horrible. I didn't know about that? That yeah. It's not an only an America story, but it's like right. definitely like a like quintessentially like American scam. It seems mm-hmm. scams are all over now. It's really mm-hmm. wild. Is the art world a scam? <laughs> it always has been a bit of a scam. <laughs> I yeah. think. Um, yeah, I mean, I think that. Now there's just such like a vital and healthy amount of transparency and dialogue and discourse that didn't exist when I started. 
Um, I mean, it was really interesting to talk to some friends recently and be like, we never talked about what people were paid. We never had a conversation mm-hmm. with each other for, I, I don't even remember the psychology of it. I think, I think some of it was like, I don't know. Like, I don't know why, for whatever reason, it took like many, many years for me to, even with my closest friends, be like, this is what I'm earning for an article. Mm-hmm. And, oh, like, that's what you're earning? Well, this is not good. Like, mm, we should interesting. <laughs> we should definitely, like, figure out alternatives or yeah. try to, you know, pool together to do something about this, whatever the this might be. Or just sort of figuring out kind of, you know, people's professional trajectory because it just seemed like people internalized a lot of stigma about what seemed to be being defined as failure and success instead of recognizing that, um, yeah, there's like a lot of nefarious behavior, but also just the system Mm -hmm. isn't really designed for sustainability. Yeah. So, yeah, I think, I mean, okay, scam's like a really strong word, so I'm not going to go fully into that, but I am going to say, um, yeah, no, it's definitely good that conversations are occurring. Yeah. About like labor and compensation. Yes. Totally. Totally. Um, how has the place of women in and or as art changed over time and across different media? Mm. Well, women definitely have more agency and especially more freedom to create work that isn't about gender. But um, there's an incredible podcast I was listening to earlier today. You know, you know, the art angle, the, yeah. Tell tell me more. Tell us more. Tell everyone. Um, Art News is this podcast that I listen to compulsively, mostly because Ben Davis is my favorite writer and he's on it all the time. And so I'm both a friend, but like, a fan, just like an absolute fan of his writing and thinking. Um, but this was, this was so riveting because it was a deep and dark dive into how real progress is for women, people of color, the whole intersectionality of identity, and that there hasn't been enough documentation or any actually on whether people who self-identify as women are being included at a critical mass in museum collections mm-hmm. or, you know, the number of exhibitions, the number of exhibitions that spiked during the Me Too movement versus now that there's been a little bit of like a dipping down of consciousness around those issues. And um, the question whether all people who identify as women collectively are as much a part of the art market as Picasso, <laughs> as the individual <laughs> artist Picasso. <laughs> the conclusion is apparently not. Oh, my. Wow. And also, yeah, there were so many finds in this. Um, and among them were that there are essentially five female artists 
whose auction um, standing is sort of equal to their male counterparts, but it's just the same. Perfectly worthy, like Louise Bourgeois is one of the best. It shouldn't just be her and four others. I don't remember who the others were. Yeah. They're probably, well, yeah, that'd be interesting. I feel like actually in our first, my first podcast with Kathy, we definitely, we discussed how, um, how it was like the older women who are getting attention now, which is great. But then there also is like, if I'm sure if we were to look at the stats comparing, like, let's say the older men versus the sort of emerging, like hot, uh, new thing men like I don't know how much there is that for women um yeah there's a lot of press but I don't know if that ever manifests yeah. yes. anything meaningful I mean it was so I can easy attest to that stories about like I mean I used to say as like a hot girl does anything is a story to pitch to editors and everyone bites because mm-hmm. it could but anything like anything from like hot girl does cupcakes, like hot girl does art, like it doesn't even matter. Like hot girl is like is a story, but then like how does hot girl eat? Like how does she pay rent? Like all of those, mm-hmm. that sort of like background doesn't mm-hmm. doesn't generate nearly as much interest, and and the press is not is not converting into cash. <laughs> Right. And is that still the case that you could you can pitch Hot Girl Does Anything or has that changed in the mainstream media? Yeah, I definitely feel that. Um, well, actually, no, because there's there's a greater interest in um, diversifying beauty and and a whole panoply of different identities. And so it isn't just that that's like the catch-all narrative and mm-hmm. coupled with the fact that like hot has just like a wider definition now mm-hmm. than it once did mm-hmm. but I definitely do think that um if I were to contact editors with like pretty person <laughs> it, it would pass because it is like the like up and coming like all of these yeah like all the excitement that generates with like <clears throat> potential Mm-hmm. and you know being photogenic mm-hmm. like those qualities mm-hmm. are compelling mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but then does that generate into sales and like a lifelong career and then what happens over the span of time right right you know unclear right it's sort of the it reminds me of the topic of like if you can you can get a lot of instagram followers or one can or especially in the art especially in the art world, like an artist could, but actually is that potentially counterproductive? Um, And some art Instagrams, I think, are very intentionally uh, non-aesthetic or non, I don't know, very, let's say very personal or kind of grungy, just like not very like... Mm -hmm eye-catching um in the art world of very famous artists and the idea being that actually in a way like not trying on instagram or um not trying or not being i would say pretty is actually helpful in some in some circles in the art world yeah it's crazy because i remember when i first started writing i'm always no um, 
yeah, semi choking. Yeah, take but, it, take a, take a moment, no rush, <laughs> if you want. Okay. Okay. Um, it's interesting because, like, when I started writing, the big debate was about being seen as serious, mm. and it was like a relentless challenge, especially for women, to not be seen as frivolous and fluffy, and like for for female friends who are very um, fashion conscious and part of their like just devotion to aesthetics was about beauty and the beauty being in their body, like embodying beauty and being in spaces where they were really playing with clothes and appearance and like the performative nature of sexuality. It did a disservice to them because they were seen as not serious people, not serious intellectuals. There was a big kind of stigma around what was superficial, which is ironic because art is surface. I mean, it has meaning and substance, but there's meaning and substance to fashion. There's meaning and substance to like, you know, all these um, interpersonal elements. And yet, there was definitely a divide. And then, like, there started to be this melding of the two mediums. Um, people like Alexander McQueen, who I wrote about, brought mortality and morality onto the catwalk, and there was just a greater, like, use of art's interpretive skills into relating to fashion and vice versa. And now... Um, now it seems like you have to you have to like participate and contribute <laughs> on both like a surface and social level much more. There's like much more of an aggressive need to do that. So I could see there being like both pluses and minuses to maybe reverting to like a I guess like a glamour of the Luddites <laughs> who just wants to be in their studio and create as long as it doesn't return to that sort of stigmatizing some of the more, um, yeah, I guess like surface aspects of presentation. Mm-hmm. Do you feel like they're stigmatized? The- I don't know. Do you? Because like you definitely <laughs> had like a lot of conflict about being an online entity. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, well, I mean, I would say that, yeah, I have a pretty big Instagram that pretty um, has a a pretty exclusively male audience on this Instagram, and I mean, some people would say that is has there's some. Actually, I'm not even sure if it necessarily counts as beautiful, but definitely okay. Maybe I'll be adjusting this question a little. Um, but I do think actually something I've been thinking about is that these um, images um, that I kind of think of as salient pinup hetero arousing images of women, let's call it that. Um, that these kinds of images that let's say are very can be very active and carry a lot of uh, power on a platform like Instagram. Um, it, it does not translate to the mainstream market. And I also think you don't really see it in the art market 
unless it's been appropriated by a male artist. So unless a male artist is presenting it, so it's kind of gone through his hands. Um, does that, so I would say, yeah. So what do you, what do you think of that? Yeah. I mean, that's, that's terrible. Cause that means there's no progress that's been done. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's like, that's the whole history prior to like the 1970s. Mm-hmm. And to have it revert back to that. I mean, I'm just thinking of like Richard Prince, you know? And like, yeah. Yeah, he's the classic. <laughs> he's like, exactly. Yeah, no, like definitely his hands. Yeah. And I have to say, like with his work, I mean, I I actually think, you know, appropriation art is a whole art form. Like it's, you know, that's cool. But like the important thing is that we also, uh, that we also <laughs> accept the women who are doing the work. Mm-hmm. That, it, that it's like, so I feel like, I feel like in an ideal world, it's like we could be, you know, see the value and the power of Richard Prince's work at work and also that of, let's say, one of the models we appropriated. But I feel mm-hmm. like it's those models that kind of get, well, it is the models who get the short end of the stick. I don't think that's a question. Um, I would say it definitely is. Or the artists who are models, which is obviously something I have a personal investment in, that mm-hmm. kind of qu- line of questioning. Um, but yeah, I feel like there, I mean, do you see it? Well, are there any, are there any, like, let's say in this I mean, it's really genre? interesting you mentioned that because, like, obviously the history of appropriation art is like Barbara Kruger. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's very female-based. Mm-hmm. And it makes a lot of sense to respond to the imagery that's manufactured to manipulate and market to us mm-hmm. and just like, you know, like rip it out of the magazines and put it, put it back mm-hmm. into like, yeah, recontextualize it and claim it. But then what's yeah. so interesting is, um, and I can never pronounce her surname, so I'm just going to go with Emra. <laughs> Emily Blubble. Oh yeah, Emily Ratajkowski. I think. Yes. I think that's how you say it. Yes. Um, when she wrote about her response to Richard Prince taking her image and um, yeah, making money off of her, mm-hmm. and I thought that was really, really strong because she has she has the position and platform and. Mm-hmm her interpretation was absolutely correct. I mean, there is something about sort of stealing your soul from a photograph. Yeah. Yeah. Especially when like you are in a position to be a face and a name, and then you just Mm -hmm. become an object in someone else's story. Mm -hmm. A name that I can't pronounce. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. No, that's interesting. That's very interesting. Yeah. That, yeah, I, I'd have to watch that or I'd have to read it again. It's been a while, but I remember really liking the article that she wrote. And then, right, she came out with a book recently that has more extended or a collection of her essays, I believe, on the topic, which is interesting. And then I think for her, especially because she is a model, like she is presenting herself and people are paying her, right, to model. And then her image is being used as an object all over the place Mm -hmm. um 
And then where does she get to say, oh, well, this is, you know, this is this one here is the image that I have authored, perhaps. Or is that important? Is is sort of feeling the authorship of it important or is it not? And that's something about Instagram that's very cool for models is that tech, I mean, I don't know technically, but like theoretically, you would think that a model would own all the images that are on there unless noted otherwise um right unless and they get to curate it so it's kind of their own voice their own platform in a way that let's say if it's an advertisement for someone else it's not um so i think i actually think of instagram models as having a really having a very interesting position in the sort of arc of performance art or online art because they probably own not always but often they will own the images and then also they own the monetization that they do of the audience which is well that goes back to your question about empowerment because yeah the real route to empowerment is just being Mm. an independent asians yes as much as possible i mean being able to i mean it's obviously it's such a privilege to be in that position but however we can wrangle um finding, securing, and working productively with an audience without an intermediary. Mm -hmm. That is where power lies. Absolutely. And so, I mean, I think I, I really loved curating and I have a tremendous, and I think curating is very creative and, um, yeah, galleries are sacred spaces, but I also feel that artists should be able to work directly with, potential collectors and um, just manage careers without the structure and system. Please curate more, Anna. <laughs> Thank you to curate more. <laughs> I really want to do more curating around sex work, yeah. like sex work. Yeah. yeah. Well, and that's, that's the area that interests me most. Yeah. Please, please. Um, we need more of that, I think. I mean, when I think, and when I think about, I think, I think pay income as power and as empowerment and then the ability Mm -hmm. to really kind of live your own life, do the kind of art you want to make is super powerful. And I mean, I have heard the argument and do think there's a lot of truth in the fact that, or the intro, it's very interesting if you consider that, let's say something like a female porn star is going to be making a lot more than the male porn star. And actually yeah. in sex work, the female performer actually gets way more money, you know, than mm-hmm. the male performer, you know, versus let's say something like, I know soccer is a hot topic, right? So versus something right. like where the, the male performers or athletes are getting more or we're getting more than the female. Um, So I think that's pretty, I mean, I think it's cool that there's an industry in which women are getting more. However, it Mm -hmm. happens to be a very stigmatized industry that is rarely discussed when we discuss things like pay and equal pay. Um, But I do think it's, I mean, to me, it seems like the one industry where women actually totally outrank men um, and can Mm -hmm. outrank them by a lot. Which is funny because... The actual performance component is pretty challenging on the boys. Yeah. 
I mean, at least for people who absolutely. are homeless, it does, like, absolutely, it does. It does require, at the minimum, medication. Yes, <laughs> and like a whole other level of disassociation. Totally. So I kind of feel bad for the boys. Who You're kind of like... right. It's true. <laughs> it's true. Because the scene only happens if they can finish, right? I mean, that's true. But otherwise, the scene doesn't happen. I think I think there's like so many aspects of this are positive, but there's something also that's like a little bit problematic about it in the way that it's like it's assuming it's still working on the paradigm of like men want sex always, all the time, mm-hmm. under any circumstance, mm-hmm. and that like women's sexuality um, is is still more of a hardship. Mm-hmm. when it should just be, well, it's work for everyone. Like yeah. everyone just like, you know, yes. Um, yeah. Just coming in for a job and just some people have to like <laughs> have some like father's little helper thing. <laughs> yes, totally. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's really, that's very interesting. Um, so can a woman just be art? Oh, oh, that's really interesting. Um, well, yeah, I mean, I think that, I mean, our, like that's a postmodern conceit is that anything and everything can be. And so like in our personhood, with the right intellectual conceptual framework, yeah, definitely. I mean, Did- putting it in, in like the, I'm just thinking of like Adrian Piper and like, um, you know, the performative nature of just exist of, or like Sophie call. Yeah. You know, like you're, yeah. Like your sort of travels, documenting mm-hmm. your travels. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Does it require someone to say like, I think of it as art or I think of myself as art mm-hmm. or, or is it like, could it be implicit in a way? Oh, that's so fascinating. Because it's like, is it almost like a, like a magical phrase that <laughs> has mm-hmm. to be spoken? Like you have to have, right. I like that because there's like almost like a, a witchiness to it that's mm-hmm. kind of wonderful. Like mm-hmm. you just feel like, and then art. Um, yeah, maybe you need to have the space, like the space in the dialogue to step from it and wrangle with it. Mm-hmm. to give it like breath to interpret and then mm-hmm. yeah that's it's about how you define it um because I was thinking the other day about like one of the artists whose work I really love um I love everything that she does is um Arabelle Raphael and she is artist activist porn actress um such an interesting woman and she was especially vocal like during the time um the covid lockdowns about sex worker rights she did a series of photographs responding to some of the abusive comments that she received on instagram Um, a lot of them were just like horrifically anti-semitic and misogynistic um really vile and I, I'm trying to remember, like, um, she's, 
Jewish, I think, of Moroccan descent. And so it was like the whole, like this wide range of racist abuse that she received. And she did this series of photos um, just in reaction to it. And it was obviously framed like as, as art. Mm -hmm. And I was thinking, well, that's so wonderful because it creates a space for her to really refute and to like to just demonstrate like the absurdity and like vile violence of how she was being responded to in the context of being a sex worker. So taking that and being like, mm-hmm. no, I'm going to take it out of the context of just being like writing back, you know, mm-hmm. like, like, Angry, like angry retaliation, like just confrontation, and to put it into this other space, like gave her this power and freedom to, like, that's cool. Really transcended and, um, yeah, I think fight back very effectively, which seems to be like one of her great gifts. Is that's cool. She's just something like a superhero. She's awesome. Who are some other artists who you're really excited about? Oh, um, there's this artist named Sasha Katz, who I'm kind of a little obsessed with. She was in this brilliant exhibition called Genderbender in Berlin, um, organized by my friend Amir Fatal, who's um, NFT company. He launched in a, I can't remember like exactly the name of the space, but it's um, like right above this big sex shop in Berlin, like this famous um, like sex emporium space in Berlin. And it had, um, it was all, it was all um, around sort of digital NFT art. And Sasha Katz is an artist whose digital portraits are about like human like frailty and sort of the fallibility of the female body and these like imperfect, like highly human bodies. They're kind of, there's sort of like um, a Jenny Savile sort of component to them. So you have, it's like, it's like pores and tears and stretch marks and it raises all these questions about what is a person? What is a human? Like, what is AI? Like mm-hmm. how AI sort of triggers all of these, what we think of as like the thing that makes us the most human, which is like our empathy. I mean, there was a very funny meme that I, I, I look at and laugh at like relentlessly where it said, I used to think that it was my ability to love that made me human, but it's actually my ability to check which boxes have a boat. <laughs> <laughs> and Sasha um Cass's work reminds me of how like I I use this um app hotels tonight all the time and I'm constantly like in my travel chaos like having to cancel last minute and and I'm at like level 63 because I use it so compulsively every time I go anywhere so they kind of they don't have a cancellation policy, but they'll be pretty nice. So I'll write to them being like, blah, blah, blah. And pretty much like nine times out of 10, they're, they're lovely and will forgive me and like, let me cancel. But I would be receiving these emails that were so 
sweet and like polite and well-written and I was always responding like what an eloquent like lovely touching like personal message like really really long ones and it was really within the last month that I was like oh my god they're from like different people quote unquote but they're all in the same voice they're all equally as long and equally as like sweet and touching I wonder if this is like a bot and I've been like having this, oh my God, this is so nice. You're the most beautiful company. Like you're so, so much better than like any other human I've encountered because it's automated to be like the perfect person. And her wow. work reminds me of that because it's like these imperfect people, but they're digital. Wow. And that's so creepy and clever. Well, that's cool. Please send me a link. <laughs> I haven't I def- seen this. Definitely will. But then also, honestly, as awkward as this is to say, like, you are one of my favorite artists. Oh, I am thank you. Very, like, I love your work and all of its, um, yeah, just for, A, for its beauty, but then also for the thought-provoking component, but also for its beauty. So it's like the, the like, just the perfect package of thought and, like, those wonderful feelings that come from, wow, the like awe and loveliness. Thank you. Thank you. I guess, you know, um, so I guess on that topic, I have another question for you. (laughs) Um, I think Rose, did I freeze? Oh, um, I think we heard it. I got, I can hear you. Can you hear me? Yes. Okay, great. Um, I'll just note that down. We'll edit it or not. We'll see. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I haven't decided yet how much I want to like try to keep it super clean or keep it, you know, real. Mm -hmm. Um, The um, okay. So um, one question um, I've been thinking about, or I think is a, I'd like to really hear your thoughts on. Um, So in 2010, I was first accepted into an artist open studio and then removed from it. It was the West Chelsea artist open studio um, by the director. Um, And he said the reason for my removal was the submission that I made uh, was an ad and not art. Um, It was an image that had a URL on it. And I believe it's the it's 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 the URL and or the nature of the image that made him say it was an ad. But kind of regardless, I'm curious if you think that ads can be art or if art is ads um, and and mm. if it has an ad element, does that make it not art? That's wow. That's so interesting. Um well, first of all, like, I mean, I'm starting to think of like any number of endless exhibitions that I've been to that fashion photography in a museum. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's a really like, that's a very fluid slide mm-hmm. and really well established. Mm-hmm. Um, Yeah, art is commercial, or at least it is in in this cultural context. I mean, it's collectible, and art prices capture public imagination much more maybe than the imagery often. Yeah. 
Like right. it's, it's a, it's a really incomprehensible irony to me for somebody to say like this object is there to be purchased, but you can't promote its existence in another form in the embedded into the object. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That doesn't, that like logic doesn't make any sense. Mm-hmm. I mean, isn't it, it's like, in order for that to be true, it would have to be outside of a commercial context, but it isn't. Mm-hmm. I mean, maybe in some instances, yeah, I mean, most definitely there, are, there's a lot of art that is and ought to be, and like, w- arguably much more should be, and, you know, the market is toxic, but realistically like art is art is seen usually to be sold <laughs> right absolutely so yeah that doesn't make sense right <laughs> i agree <laughs> I oh agree. wait now you're scrambled oh okay the wi-fi might be a little but that that is really that's really interesting were you able to contest that um so I did. I, I think I like asked him and I, and I tried to contest it, but he wouldn't let me back in. But actually it ended up working out um, well in the end because I ended up uh, doing a press release on it and then the press mm-hmm. picked it up. And that was really cool. I can't remember exactly the art publications that w- were writing on it, but this was before I was sharing publicly that I was an artist um Mm. so so I started as an artist and I kind of moved into this online stuff um but I wasn't linking my names yet it was it was an anonymous project at the time so I think it was I think it was art in art info culture bot art news Huffington Post I mean all these great people wrote about it as this question of is it an ad or art so it actually worked out really great in the end um but at the time I was very upset because I was like felt very I felt personally attacked, I guess, um, that it would yeah. be that I would be considered that my art was an ad. Whereas, obviously, I mean, like you're saying, it's like all art is made to be sold, unless it's not for sale. But like, I don't know, is there? An, I mean, I'm sure someone's well, done I a conceptual project. I feel like implicit in that is the assumption that artists have to maintain like the illusion of naivete and, and it goes back to that, you know, if you are commercially minded, then you've sold out. Um, so you have to be serious in order to be serious. You have to pretend like you're not involved in a commercial endeavor. Exactly. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's a fallacy or a fantasy. Yeah. And it's not that people need to necessarily, or they ought not to be making work exclusively for, like audience consumption, there should be a component of authenticity and like mm-hmm. personal input, but you can't pretend that it's not going to end up ideally on a collector's wall mm-hmm. or that's all. Yeah. And some of the best selling artists who I know, like personally, or I guess have even just heard talk on podcasts, they'll often speak about I'm thinking of a couple of painters in particular, they'll talk about it just very blatantly as like, yeah, it's just my day job or I'm just right. like, I'm getting my hours in. I can only do this many paintings in this much time. And I'm, you know, I'm doing it for this gallery for this. Like it's very practical and very uh, 
it sounds it sounds like it could be a business plan that they've written up and they know exactly what they need to do to get what the income they need etc so it's it's a uh, it's kind of, I, I didn't thought until then yeah but that's also that. like that's the thing that is so disturbing is that um you know the goal everyone's goal is to really love what they do professionally. Mm-hmm. Like you would, wa- you would want to be remunerated, to be rewarded, to be able to sustain yourself with a skill and a passion. And so there shouldn't, nece- there shouldn't be a conflict. Yeah, it shouldn't. You shouldn't have to see something as pure if it's not, if there's not a transactional element. I mean, there can be both. Both can exist. You can also like you know, hate aspects of work, but like, or, you know, mm-hmm. hate some projects, mm-hmm. but have chosen to do a specific profession yeah. and sort of love it either in theory or love the majority of it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that, that should be what's ultimately happening. I mean, yes. it would be, um, yeah, it would be, yeah. And everyone's best interest to not see those as as an opposition as there being a defiance but then again I think you know a lot of people really do hate the work that they do and so it's hard to sort of wrap your head around like not um resenting there being a financial aspect to right creating isn't that true yeah of a lot of professions though right like there are a lot of professions that have like both good and bads I mean I don't know is there any profession that is just all good I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) I think it's like, I think there are people who are in those professions who may see it as all good, but inherently no. I mean, everything, yeah, unless you're at like a level where you have sufficient sort of privilege and support that you don't have to do your own admin, for example, if you don't want to. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you're just like cloistered. But even then, like, I mean, even then there's probably something. Exactly, because I was just thinking, I was like, I'm thinking of Basquiat being like locked in his basement by his dealer, <laughs> just like forced to paint compulsively. <laughs> yeah. Um, any other like thoughts or comments or anything? No, this is really fun. I, <laughs> I know I definitely love to um, do more of this. I guess the like. The thoughts are, I just, I really wish there were more artists who are doing the work that you do. And not to say that, I mean, you are, but it would be wonderful if there were like more and you and I could just curate a show together. (laughs) Like a bunch. (laughs) So I think, yeah. Anyone who's listening should email Anna if you do this kind of work. (laughs) We need to put together a show. Yeah, it's so good to just have more more people working in the intersection in these mm-hmm. different fields mm-hmm. and about sort of the complexities. Because um, it would be so, it would it would just be speaking of like labors of love projects. I would yeah, curating something together would be my dream thing. So that's yes, my last. I hope one. so. Hopefully, mm-hmm. hopefully. Yeah. Soon, mm-hmm. somehow and then, yeah. this year 2023 right okay <laughs> why not <laughs> yeah well, this was amazing thank you thank you so much and really awesome to hear your perspective and you're so eloquent 
Um, Thank you. Yeah, thank oh, we never you. ended up talking about New York. Oh, right. That's how we started before the podcast, New York. Yeah. Yeah, no, um, the love-hate relationship. Like, yes. I grew up in Manhattan, so for me, mm -hmm. um, it was always normal, and every place else was alluring and, and intriguing mm. oh. because of its difference. But now going back to New York, um, it just feels really unnecessary. Just to share, like, the magnitude and the expense of it. It's mm. both really comfortable in the way that I I can only – I sleep best when they're, like, people screaming and cars honking <laughs> outside the window. I look all the time for, um, like, ambient sound podcasts that are not running water and are just, like – people fighting on the street or like oh my gosh <laughs> but there that's are that's amazing be really sad i've actually like i've i've tried to record outside yeah the lower east side in the summer when the windows are open or in like in london um i i did and somehow it didn't take and i went to sleep so happy cuz i was like hearing all of this like madness on the street and i was thinking i've got it like i finally got it i'm going to sleep oh. well for and my laptop died and it didn't catch. Oh, but, no. but being just like a like a real New Yorker, like that's my habitat, I still feel like I'm so grateful I got out and mm. live someplace a lot more reasonable and peaceful. Mm. <laughs> yeah, just the tranquility of not having that like relentless pressure. That's mm -hmm. nice. So what what's that? Was the last I said it's, it's nice. It's just yeah. it's nice to to go back and be like, oh right, I forgot that everything is um, everything feels more real and and it just feels like it has more consequence. It has it has this intensity and like this cinema quality to it. It's yeah. like okay, right. this is this is really happening. Like I'm an adult and I'm on the street and I'm going somewhere. Mm -hmm. You know, <laughs> exactly I'm doing it. I'm living a life like that kind of like mm -hmm. like potent. Um, but it's also nice to just like hibernate mm -hmm. and yeah, for me at the moment, that's Baltimore. That's cool. Mm -hmm. That's really cool. It's a, yeah, it's, I feel like part of the goal, I have also recently moved out of New York and I feel like part of the goal is just to like ha feel the purpose that mm -hmm. sort of living in New York helped, I think, me to feel, but while out of New York like to feel as in the cinema as like on the screen and like things mm -hmm. are happening um, when there isn't the screaming outside your window um, but that's I feel like maybe a lifelong process of learning that I actually I do feel like Instagram does help a lot yeah. because you're not you're not totally detached mm -hmm. um, like thinking of like the ultimate Melissa Benz, who I went to college with, runs um, Marfa International, the Marfa Art Fair, and her feed of like ex New Yorker imagery uh -huh. um, has been like a inspiration for me. Where I'm like, right, of course, like there's there is a universe outside of Manhattan, and it's um, it's delightful and it's like filled with peace and purpose. <laughs> That's, yeah, yeah. Do you, when is the Marfa Art Fair? Do you know? Oh, top of your head. Happens. Oh, oh yeah. People were there. Is that why they were there? Okay, yeah. that's why. Okay, thanks. But she would be a good person for this. Actually, oh, cool. Then. Oh, good. 
Yeah, she's she's so smart and sassy and witty. That's cool. Mm. Awesome. I'm definitely going to listen to that when you guys do it. <laughs> yeah. Well, well thank you so much. I'll stop the recording now. Thank you. And see you on Instagram. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, what's your at? Uh, can you share oh, with the um, at Catsman and Cats. Okay. Catsman and Cats was actually an art gallery that I was going to start with oh. in X in Santa Fe, New Mexico in my, oh, cool. my pre, my ex, my ex New York and London, um, attempt with Santa Fe. Wow. So it's stuck. That's awesome. <laughs> now I'm Catsman and Cats, but I'm, I'm involved. Forever. awesome thank you this has been the women as an art podcast hosted by me leah schrager please visit womenasanart.com for more information and to find us on socials thanks